What's up, everybody? We're back. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron. My name's Carly. And uh, thank you for joining us on a very special bonus episode of the show. Joining us today is a wonderful guest, uh, writer and uh, host, co-host, I suppose, of Trillbilly's podcast. Aaron Thorpe is here today. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, like like we were talking about earlier, I'm very excited to uh, to be on the show because what you guys cover is the same kind of realm that I like kind of travel in. So uh, I'm very excited. We're so stoked to have you here. Huh. Yeah, we're, we are thrilled to have you. And uh, we're, we're going to be doing something a little different today. We are uh, not wading into the 1990s on this particular episode. Well, not explicitly, not explicitly. but we will end up there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, today, we are going to be talking a little bit about the recent fourth installment in the Matrix series, The Matrix Resurrections, which was just released last week. Uh, we'll get a little bit into how we feel about it and talk at, more at length about uh, the film proper in just a moment. But uh, Aaron, the reason we asked you to, to join for this uh, specific film and, and this discussion is because of a piece that you wrote for your Substack, Space and Light, uh, and that is called What May Have Been, Retroism, Nostalgia, and Futurelessness. And uh, it has a lot of ideas in it, but uh, yeah. ultimately, like, and I'll, I'll let you summarize it better than I can, but, but what I gathered from it is, you know, this, this kind of conceit of, of the neoliberal project sort of taking root and, and creating this sort of sense of capitalist realism that uh, creates an environment and a political economy that makes it impossible for us to imagine new futures, new possibilities, Absolutely. new horizons. And yeah. so we constantly recycle and churn old ideas. Um, and while the matrix is definitely, I think, part of and, and an extension of that ethos, I think it does some interesting things uh, with with that conceit and and reckoning with its own legacy, reckoning with the fact that it is rebooting something, literally resurrecting uh, exactly. in the property. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of your piece, you you start with uh, the conceit of hauntology. Mm -hmm. which was, I, I think, coined by Derrida in Spectres yeah. of Marx um, and then elaborated upon by Mark Fisher as well. Um, in, in Ghost of My Life, is that is that the word? Yeah, in Ghost of My Life and, in, and I think in some other essays that he had on his blog, um, K-Punk. But mo that's where I learned the term from. Not even Derrida, but as you said, Ghost of My Life by Mark Fisher. I'll, I'll let you explain it a little bit. Mm -hmm. but, but as I understand it, too, it's, it's sort of this idea that modern neoliberalism, like the neoliberal capitalist project, is haunted by specters of things past, right? And yeah. and specifically, they're talking about, uh, or Derrida is talking about communism, right? Mm -hmm. And and how it's it's less the threat and the 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 apparition that lies ahead of us, like the looming possibility of communism, and actually, it's mm -hmm. it's defeat, the fact that it's dead, um, and and exists in in a past, and and that this new order has come out. Uh, rather than the alternative. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I would add to that too, um, what haunts us isn't just the disappearance of communism, but also lost futures, right? Like, that's a big thing. That's one of the sub the terms that are, is a subtitle of the ghost of my life. It's, um, it's just this idea that because neoliberal capitalism has asserted such dominance over the entire world, and like I say in my piece, not even just the world, but like you know, like our, our social relations, you know, like um, the dreams that we have for each other and our families in the society, um, because of that and because there is no alternative, I think that people are wistful for not just a past that was whitewashed and seemingly 
bereft of any kind of social conflicts or injustice, but for maybe what could have been, you know, and I'm not saying that, I mean, that's another discussion. It's not that the Soviet Union was a perfect example of a society that I think a lot of people would want to live in, right? But at the same time, it was an alternative to this kind of nascent, budding neoliberalism that, I mean, now it's, I mean, people can't even define what system they live in, right? Like, it's like the ambient background noise of our society. And I think that where hauntology comes in is that we, we kind of like reach back into the past for these little trinkets, I think, that make people feel comfortable during times mm-hmm. of economic and social insecurity. And I mean, there's also the, the fact that these content creators through a culture of recursion where algorithms that are predictive, right, that recommend you mm-hmm. content, they're already recommending you things that they know you enjoy, whether it's something that you've seen last week or that you enjoyed as a kid, you know. So it is very material in the sense it's kind of built within the system, sort of like the matrix, I guess. But it is also this sort of innate, I mean, everybody's nostalgic for something. We can get out of the political economic terms, but like, I like, I talk about Air Jordans in that piece um, a little Mm -hmm. bit, because like, that's one of my like diseases, like as a a communist or anti-capitalist. I love fucking sneakers, okay? And like, <laughs> we've all do. got something. We've all got something, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm presently wearing a, a T-shirt commemorating the 1995 Nickelodeon film. I was going to comment so, on that. Like, <laughs> I love that shirt, man. That's a, it's a Christmas gift from from Carly here, um, and I love it. And we've talked about the the movie on the show before, um, but it's exactly that, right? It's pining and, and yearning for this this sort of past that feels familiar and comfortable. It's us turning on the faucet, as your friend says. Exactly. Uh, I loved that line in your piece that. That we we participate in in capitalism every time we turn on the faucet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd probably be mad that I'd like include. Well, I didn't mention him by name, which is good. But like, no, he's probably thinking I'm ribbed him. But it's a, it's a good point. And I mean, like, it is. I will just say, like, specifically, especially we're talking about the Matrix. Even though we're talking about this film, Carla, you said that indirectly we will end up talking about the '90s, and that's the nostalgia. I'm going to talk about it in the piece. Um, It's a term coined by Grafton Tanner um, in Mm -hmm. his book, The Circle of the Snake. He calls it pre-recession nostalgia. Right. And that's what we're all going through now um, for, I guess, the the end of the 20th century to be the first decade of the 21st century, pining for, you know, the culture and sort of this time before 2008, the economic crisis, before 9-11 and before, like, you know, the world of the Web 2.0. You know, so I think that's what this film kind of harkens back to. And um, you guys, I'll say you guys sent me this clip um, where I think one of the characters is asking, like, what do they do without landlines or something like that? I forget. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, <laughs> we'll talk more about that stuff. But I thought that was pretty clever, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That pre-recession nostalgia that you're talking about, it made me think of our our impetus for this show. You mentioned in your piece that at the beginning of the pandemic last year, Netflix very astutely, um, you know, pulled up The Last Dance, which, as you said, was a huge hit um, and and wasn't just a, a tremendous smash uh, in terms of people watching it on the platform, but also for sales of Air yeah. Jordans. Um, and that, you know, of course, brings us back to this idea that um, nostalgia is profitable to a certain extent, right? Absolutely. So it's comforting, yes, but it also serves capital. And I, I love that you draw those connections in your piece. And and it made me think about 
the timing of us starting this show. Uh. We, you know, were home. Uh, one of us was out of work um, mm. and uh, and trying to figure out what the fuck to do with ourselves. And we love talking about movies. And we had often talked a lot about how prolific the, the decade of the 90s were mm. for film uh, in general. And that it's such a fraught landscape politically and yeah. culturally that it's an interesting time to explore. But your piece made me think about the timing of that, right? I yeah. was like, I was like, damn, we kind of like did that thing. We yeah. kind of leaned into that pre-recession nostalgia and we're like, yeah. let's talk about 90s movies right now because we're scared. Yeah. And and that that is the thing that like stuck with me is that like in this time, not just during the pandemic, but as you say so astutely in your piece of just any kind of material and an economic uncertainty that this impetus to pine for something that is certain is more potent than our our ability to imagine something that we haven't experienced previously yes absolutely i don't want to i don't want to get too jump too far ahead but you just made me think of a there's damn i hope i can remember the quote but neo is like sitting on the toilet in this movie and he looks at kind of him and there's that uh there's that uh someone's done some graffiti and it says something like, it's easier to bury reality than dispose of dreams, mm-hmm. you know, something yes. like that, you know. Yeah. And another yes. piece that I, I didn't bring up, but another piece, um, a, a work of theory that really kind of like guides the way I think about culture is um, Debord's Society of the Spectacle, you know, mm-hmm. and how the spectacle, which is like not just mass media, but it's all of this kind of um, unreality, right, mm-hmm. um, that the ruling class is sort of proliferating in order to kind of put you to sleep, right? There's a line where that's exactly what he says. And I mean, that is why, again, like, yo, you people can hate this film for all kinds of reasons. And we'll talk about some things I didn't like about it. <laughs> yep. But like, Lana got that, like explicitly. I mean, characters say things explicitly like originality mattered or reboot sell. And yep. it might be heavy handed, but I think the point is to be heavy handed, to be repetitive, like all of our media now, you know, so. I thought that was I pretty genius. I completely agree with you, dude. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm so there with you. So there with you. Thank you. Yeah, that was, wow. That got me like, my brain is like on fire right now. Because I just also just literally finished watching it before I got on to you guys. So like, <laughs> like yeah. for the second time. So like fired up. Oh, yeah. Well, I, what I love too, and, and I'm going to maybe uh, out you here a little bit, but this is this yeah. is publicly available, I think. But like, I think we were both watching it on the same day around the time it came out. And I saw a tweet from you where you're like, all right, I'm putting this on. And then you're like, oh man, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And then like, you're like, I'm going to smoke some weed. And then you yeah. said, no, I think I like this now. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, all right, cool. Like there it is. Like that's, that's kind of how you we were too. You had to it's free like, your mind, Aaron. <laughs> I had to free my mind, man, and take that leap of into just enjoying. And I mean, again, it's like, dude, this film, I don't think was, it was sadly not as, it's not going to be as impactful for what the Matrix did for us, right? When it yeah. came out, um, and I didn't even see it right when it came out. I saw it a couple of years later. But I mean, that was a groundbreaking film for many yes. reasons, right? This mm-hmm. film is not going to be that for the kids who haven't seen the original, right? Or maybe they're seeing it for the first time. And I think that's like kind of the point. And like, I mean, like she knew that when she was doing this film and made it yes. a statement to point that out. Whether you think it like like lands or not is you know up to your discretion, but. I think it was pretty good kind of a a meta contextual storytelling, you know, I totally agree. Uh, uh. So now I have to ask you Mm. if you'll if you'll just 
come right out and say it. Like, what did you think of the film overall? Well, I will say I liked it. I enjoyed it. I mean, given all of what I've said, I think it was a pretty smart film. But some of one of the things I didn't enjoy that I really enjoyed about the original was I did not enjoy the fight choreography. Um, it, the scenes were, especially when there were scenes, were kind of like. Um, See, I'm not like a you know cinematography nerd. I don't know the term, but they're kind of panned out where both of the characters are in frame, like the subway scene. Yep. And the 99, right, is a perfect example of that. It's very easy to see what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, even a Marvel film for those clay, plastic, Play-Doh people, I can tell what is happening happening in a highly kinetic scene. Yes. I could not tell what was going on in this movie sometimes. It was very messy. Like, there was cut weird, the train sequence. The only cool part about it, when he, when he threw this chick out the window, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> other than that, like, the fight, what made the original so fucking dope, you know, aside from bullet time, was just, like, the fight scenes, man. And this one was just, like, okay, there are bodies flying at each other and hands and legs and shit. And I can kind of tell what's going on, but whatever, you know? So I have a theory. Yeah. And I want to run we, it by you. Okay, you guys have um, a theory. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this 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 comment on the fights is like one of the things I've seen come up the most, oh. and it's of course one of the things that like we all talk about when we talk about the original movies. They you know they sort of say as much, right? There's that one scene with who's the really annoying guy that uh, is his like right hand stooge in the beginning. Uh, Jude, Jude is his name. Jude, yeah. There's that montage of meta commentary, which we can also talk about in a second, where they're workshopping the ideas of the original Matrix series and mm. talking about it in context of making this reboot. And they talk about the fact that it's like you want cool fight scenes and you want whatever, whatever. So yeah. Lana's expressly calling out that this is a thing that people talk about in the context of the original trilogy and that people want and expect. And I think, we think that the sort of like resistance to give us that, to give us that really slick, Mm. panned out, kind of like acrobatic, um, really digestible fight scene Uh is her kind of saying like, I know you fucking want this thing and <laughs> and I'm not going to give it to you. Okay. I'm going to give you some fight scenes and they're going to be interesting and, uh-huh. you know, a little bit chunky and clunky, yeah. but I'm not going to give you the thing that you're demanding of me. I'm not going to give you the thing that you think you want. Instead, I'm going to give you this other thing. I, I could understand and respect if that was her decision, but I also feel like because the franchise is rooted in these very like, you know, highly kinetic, but kind of clean action mm-hmm. sequences that it's almost like, okay, it might be an opinion. And I mean, if that was, if that's actually how she went about the decision, then I think that's fucking amazing. But <laughs> it's also like, is it a betrayal mm. of, of an element of the franchise or an element of the fan base of the franchise who is not necessarily looking for these deep philosophical like questions, but really wants to see like, you know, motherfuckers get shot up and like, right. you know, fly and jump up bills and shit. And I don't know. What do you guys think? Is it kind of a betrayal of the like, of the franchise, you think? I have an idea behind That's a this. good question. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is a really good question. And I, I guess we'll start here and, and I'll just say, I've never had to say this on the show before, but obviously this is an incredibly new movie. Like it's, it's been mm-hmm. out for a handful of days now. Um, and we're going to be addressing this with uh, spoilers abound. 
so so stop this now and go so, watch it if you have not and, seen and it. I, and, I, and, I, and I hate doing that, you know, like we've never had to do on the show because everything huh. we talk about is like 20, 30 years old. But yeah. uh, if, if you care at all about that and haven't haven't watched it yet, this is not a spoiler free zone. We are going to be uh, dissecting it, talking about explicit elements of the film and, and talking about them in in very specific ways. So go watch the movie and come back here afterward. Um, and uh, also, please note that there is a, a, a deluge of other podcasts and YouTube videos and articles written about this. We're going to be the only three that have the proper take on the movie. <laughs> Everyone else exactly. is. I don't know about that. Ba- based on what I've read, <laughs> based on what I've read, listened to, and seen, we're we're a handful of the few that have the right the right read on this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you gotta sure. be, you gotta yeah. be you gotta be a bit nuanced and dialectical, you know. I don't That's think you right. can think you there, there are things <laughs> you can like the about dialectic. this shit, there are things you can hate, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Exactly. completely. <laughs> but but to jump off and, and to answer your question, um I think that they address this explicitly within the text. Hmm. I think that Lana was making conscious decisions to challenge the idea of well, first and foremost, the binaries. We see the word binary come up probably like 20 times in the first act of this movie, yeah. uh, but also actively kind of not dissuade, but challenge people to analyze it from one specific vantage point. You know, I think mm-hmm. that, that that boardroom scene in the first act, which is probably where uh, some people start buying in more and some people like totally tap out where yeah. they're just, you know, kind of naming off all the things that the, the franchise means, whether it's, yeah. you know, like you know, a deep philosophical text or bullet time or cool yeah. action and Kung Fu and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's quite ham-fisted, not going to lie. It, so it some is. people could yes. not enjoy it. I understand why they wouldn't enjoy it. Absolutely. And and I think that in like the hands of a less competent and capable director, I would have found it really, really noxious. And for some mm-hmm. reason, I didn't because I think that the original yeah. source material is so rich. And I think that it is really fun to kind of uh, antagonize a little bit that idea of like what makes a Matrix movie a Matrix movie. Yeah. Um, and then later on too, they even kind of delve further into this conceit once Neo is freed from the Matrix and talking to the character Bugs, played by Jessica Henwick, who I think is an awesome addition to the cast, by the way. I oh, think yeah, she does she a really great. great job. She uh, One of the things I really love about this movie is that the new cast members like nail it. Like I, I yeah. liked all of them. I thought they all did a good job and I, that can't be set of of some other reboots that cling <laughs> on to to past uh characters like like the star wars sequels and <laughs> yeah. things like that uh but you know he neo is reckoning with and says like if if these holes in my arm and in the back of my head are, are real uh that means that they took my life and mm-hmm. turned it into a video game mm-hmm. and bugs says you know like that's that's the matrix that's what the matrix does you yeah. know, it, 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 it weaponizes trivializes. every idea. Exactly. It weaponizes every, every idea. Yeah. And so I think like in terms of it being a betrayal, I don't think so. I think that what Lana's mm. making us ask ourselves is why do we have this uh, highly commodified, like very uh, singular idea of what a Matrix movie is and should be and can be? You know, yeah. like why is that the limits of our possibility? Like, is it just supposed to be? heady ideas and great action set pieces or can it be something else and in in this film i I think that she answers it pretty adequately like that it can do those things and and i think she does them you know pretty well uh but i think she's saying like there's there's more opportunity within this story and within this world that i build to question things and to and to indict our reality in a way that feels more nuanced and and refreshed than simply the you know the the 
program and the machines versus the good guys and Neo being the one. You know? Well, she and, like that's such a really good point. You maybe like two things yeah. I want to mention really quick. That's such a good point because like she she's addressing that line that Bugs has um reminds me of uh the idea of like kind of re- recuperation, you know, and I want I don't mm-hmm. want to get too like heady here in political economy, but basically like it's the way that capital assimilates revolutionary or radical ideas into yes. like its own cultural logic yes. in order to make people as the matrix does feel like they have at least some illusion of choice or freedom. And so that it can kind of like, yeah, again, placate people, regurgitate this back to you, make you feel another mm-hmm. term is interpassivity, which is sort of interface interfacing with media that is seemingly radical in content so that by buying your movie ticket and sitting in like this fucking seat, you feel like you're performing anti-capitalism or radicalism, yes. or rev- you know, revolution. But what she does, the second point I want to make, Aaron, this is a really good point you brought up, is that. The mate the the formulaic like franchise of the Matrix is sort of its own Matrix itself, right? Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. kind of performs a role like these freedom fighters, like Neo, as the director <laughs> of the film, by breaking out of this kind of recursion and this this cycle to challenge, as you said, what the franchise can actually be. And that's this super in real life metatextual kind of thing that I mean, I'd have to smoke a lot more weed to even fucking wrap my head around. But it's pretty <laughs> insane, though. That's a good point. That's yeah. a really good point. I, yeah. And I feel like like I am comfortable asserting her capacity in that regard because she gave us the matrix, right? Which as yeah. we've said, it was was an incredible um an incredible text at the time and highly subversive and I feel like she was, you know, the Wachowskis then were naming a lot of things directly mm-hmm. that a lot of other movies were sort of attempting to triangulate, you know, yeah. this sense of kind of like impending doom imprisonment the flattening of of sort of like our culture and our economy and they just went out and sort of said it and said like yeah we're all like imprisoned in a system and so i think like because i because i trust her and i trust her ability to operate in some some sort of literacy with subversive and revolutionary ideas Mm. I feel comfortable sort of asserting that, that she is, uh, that she's doing this sort of like double layer work of like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to give you some things that you think you want, but then I'm also going to make you understand that like, it doesn't feel good. Right. Like, Oh, you love the opening of the matrix. I'm going to give it to you shot for shot, but it's going to be another lady and it's not going to feel as good. Like, doesn't that suck? It's going to feel like like, hollow and wrong and weird that you're watching the opening of this movie. Exactly. And you (laughs) think it feels unsettling. It felt yeah. unsettling to me watching it because I was like, yo, this chick looks like Trinity, yes. but like doesn't really. And then the fight, the, the the way the fight choreography is, is not like exactly one to one. The same things don't happen. It has this very like, like a uncanny valley sort of yes. unsettling creepiness yep. to it, you know? There's totally. An, there's an artificiality to all of it, you know? And yeah. and I, I think to Carly's point, you know, there there was a moment where we were sort of questioning how much of this was intentional on behalf of Lana. And I think the part that finally sold it for us uh, was around the midpoint uh, when the analyst, Neil Patrick Harris's character, um, kind of reveals his scheme. And he literally like puts the world into bullet time and does his like supervillain speech and explains <laughs> yeah. what's going on. And, you know, we're, we were watching this at home and, and Carly stopped it and said, 
Lana is literally giving us a bullet time scene and she's making it like the most expository, like, <laughs> yeah. like dialogue laden thing possible instead of action. And, yeah. and, and Carly was like, I think she's a genius. Like, I think she's like yeah. doing this like on purpose here. She, and, I didn't even realize that. That's so she's true. She's like, oh, you want bullet time? Here's like seven minutes of fucking Neil Patrick Harris talking about his villainous plan. Like, here you go. Here's bullet time for you. <laughs> Holy shit. That's such I mean, a good point. Yeah. We'll see, man. I, 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 I think there's a lot that she's doing in there that feels like, like even the meta commentary, right? Which you mentioned ham fisted. And I think that's the point, right? So many of these reboots that we get, we're now expecting the sort of like Deadpooling of them, right? Where they're like, oh yeah, I'm like talking about how I'm doing this thing and you're watching this thing. And I know you're watching this thing. (laughs) And she just gave us like, a five minute montage of that crap. And I was like, I hate this. And then I was like, Oh, maybe that's the point. Like maybe she wants me to be like, yes, yeah, see how fucking stupid this is. See how dumb it is when this movie comments on itself and like yeah. gives you a knowing wink. Yeah. You're supposed to think this is like empty garbage because it is. Well, I mean, the way that the film even starts with Neo is back in the Matrix, but as a video game designer who created <laughs> the Matrix as a game, I mean, that, I mean, that, I mean, that's pretty obvious, but I mean, Jesus Christ, though, it's still fucking amazing, right? Because it's again what the Matrix does, right? Where Bugs' character says that it weaponizes every idea. Mm-hmm. The Matrix is like, mm-hmm. okay, word, we're going to reboot again. Okay, we'll just like throw this back at you. And it actually happened, but it didn't really happen, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And Neo has to contend with that. You know? All of this is is making me think, Aaron, of another uh, thing that you mentioned in your piece, which is the uh, the dialectic of the cultural struggle that uh, Stuart yeah. Hall brings up. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I'll I'll just quote here from from your piece uh, what he says, but uh, says that there is a continuous and necessary uneven and unequal struggle by the dominant culture constantly to disorganize and repopularize popular culture to enclose and and confine its definitions and forms within a more inclusive range of dominant forms. To me, this this just sort of speaks to like reboot culture in general, right? Like this yeah. idea of sort of like the the cultural hegemony sort of playing on it and, and recontextualizing old forms and old art into something that feels more inclusive, but also sort of has this kind of uh, insidious quality to it that it's mm-hmm. really just it's holding on to that same sort of like neoliberal model, right? Like yeah. it's just bringing in new faces, new packaging and, and repurposing it all. And I think that this film you know for some of its faults and and whether or not it's successful or not is at least trying to make an attempt to like struggle against that idea that idea of just regurgitating like that same form for the purposes of of uh, you know basic inclusivity within the system absolutely and i think too that like you know one thing that struck me about that Stuart hall quote was like you know i spent spent like, I don't know, like 2000 words writing this piece complaining about something. And then I got to the end and I was like, you'll have no solution. Right. Hmm. And I don't think that like, you know, I'm even no one's meant to have a solution. But um, I found that Stuart Hall piece and I had to use it because I think what Lana does in this film, too. And I mean, 
you know, directors say and artists in general say that, you know, they create something and they put it out into the world and people can receive it however they want. But a lot of times that's bullshit, right? I know this as a writer, right? You put something out there and you want to still kind of swaddle it and coddle it, you know, and you want it to be like loved and cared for the same way you cared for it, right? Mm -hmm. But I think she actively made some like, you know, controversial choices within the film in which it is kind of an example of this dialectic of a cultural struggle, right? At least in the sense that people interact with media, right? And if you're not interacting with media, right, and forming your own opinions and ideas and how it relates to your own life or your own opinions, then it's kind of a piece of shit, you know what I mean? Like, yep. you know, not to, uh, to reference uh, fucking Tom Holland the other day, you know, calling these Marvel oh, films art. <laughs> I mean, dude, those are films that... Like, are unexciting because either some people fucking hate them or everybody fucking loves them and mostly everyone loves them. And there's nothing, let's forget even about, like, any political message. There's nothing interesting about them. There's nothing that challenges Mm -hmm. you as an art form, Mm -hmm. right? It's fucking cotton candy for the masses, which is fine, dude. I've watched all those fucking movies and I get really high and enjoy them. Mm -hmm. But this is something like, oh, there's some contention over um, this new addition to the franchise. That's actually a good thing because that's the way people interface and interact with culture you know i think i think it's great i think it's good like here we are talking about it right and i don't know that i would sit down and like have even a two-minute conversation about eternals right like (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely that's not that's not a, a a piece of of media that would you know sort of challenge me or or uh stir up any ideas in me whether or not i liked the experience and you also you're also making me realize um I love that you you brought in that Andrew Garfield quote and so fitting Tom ahead Holland. of uh, Tom Holland. No, no, it was the Andrew, Andrew, oh, Andrew Garfield, oh, Andrew Garfield yeah, 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 in, in your piece. In yes, his yes, yes. piece. Yeah, yeah. So so prescient ahead of like all of the nonsense that came out around around Spider-Man No Way Home which like we don't have to discuss but you mentioned that Andrew Garfield specifically remarks on sort of like the disappointment he has around test groups and uh and this sort of like fandom is what fandom based Mm -hmm. on market forces right and and that that is the thing that i think lana is trying to actively work against in this film yes yes i yeah i mean there's the scene where um uh i forget the boss's name but agent smith's kind of like uh, Mm -hmm. i guess duplicate or whatever like Mm -hmm. uh, keanu's boss where he says he's saying how like kind of times are changing it sounds like he's talking about the business right the company but you know it's like metatextual for the matrix and he says um you know the market is changing you know and there are these little kind of hints which is something i actually want to talk about with you guys i was thinking about Mm -hmm. this this was i don't think it was supposed to be an update to today's society necessarily Right. Um, where the Matrix was this depiction of this kind of late capitalist, like mm-hmm. late 20th century, which was very familiar. I think here it the only thing I remember was the scene where they were in an elevator. I mean, obviously, Neo as a video game creator, but the scene where he was in an elevator and everyone's staring at their phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There weren't that many references to social media, which I was expecting, except for Neil Patrick Harris during that monologue saying that, um, or I don't want to get too he- too far ahead to confuse people, but Neil Patrick Harris's character says that despair and fear are what um, creates more yep. energy, right? Yes. Um, as as batteries, right? And in a similar way, I don't know if people know this, but the most profitable emotion 
like for these social media companies and their algorithms to keep your attention is um, anger and rage and all these negative emotions. And I think that was really fucking smart. And I guess the question is, I wanted to see more references to this interconnected, and I know the Matrix is already like that, but specifically about our addiction to our cell phones, to mm. this this kind of augmented rea- reality that we've created through social mm. media. I was hoping to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, that's yeah. a fair point. I think maybe one explanation for this is that uh, even the machines think Twitter is too toxic to keep in their, <laughs> in their virtual environment. <laughs> They're like, yeah, actually, we might create create the uprising if oh we allow God. them to have Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> just like, do, just do not give them Twitter. <laughs> Don't give I, them Twitter. That's no, it's an interesting point, Aaron. And I think like the thing that you're you're wanting f- more from this movie, I think, is an is an idea that the the film kind of alludes to in some ways, and and perhaps mentions explicitly but i think that there's a lot more that could be explored there to your point and yeah. and one of the ways that i felt like some of this update was being communicated to us aaron this other aaron white aaron brown aaron um, <laughs> aaron one <laughs> brown aaron. um he he mentioned like okay it's really potent that smith or this like re redux of Smith is coming in the form of like a white tech bro who yeah. is, you ah. know, he's doing the like sockless, like mock slippers and the like open breasted, you know, yeah. uh, jacket, like With very casual underneath, like looking yeah. casual. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and that Neil Patrick Harris's character is this extremely well off white, um, sort of academic right yeah, he represents yeah. the academic class he's a he's a therapist so he has many many degrees and doctorates presumably yeah and yeah. and it kind of represents that this new matrix is less overtly carceral right mm. it's it's not necessarily like we've got these agents they're like fbi proxies yeah. you know yeah. they're gonna handcuff you and interrogate you and neil patrick harris's character says like I can get you to participate in your own passivity. Yeah. I just have to like turn up the emotional manipulation a little bit. And yep. then you just want to stay here. You want to hang in this place between hope and despair. And I don't really have to do all the like former Agent Smith FBI yeah. shit. Yeah, I just kind of like yeah. let you come here and you think you're you know, you alluded to earlier, Aaron, this, this illusion of choice. Mm-hmm. And that's very much the thing that's mm-hmm. kind of dangled in front of people in today's society. It's, it's why everyone is so um, fervently clinging on to, you know, their ability to vax or not vax, right? It's like, yeah. it's completely an illusion. We, mm-hmm. we think we still have personal freedom and we absolutely don't. So uh, that's all of a roundabout mm-hmm. way to saying, I think the I, the idea of this update in the Matrix comes through in other ways, but very yeah. much agree with you that there could be more on this kind of like this web of uh, of a fake reality that we are participating in, even within the fake reality of the it, Matrix. So, 
You know what? That's a really good point, Carly, about the therapist especially, because the introduction of his character was incredibly annoying to me, you know? And yes! at, at first, like, I'm, like, super, you know, superficially, like, you're right, like, you know, I was talking about cultural hegemony earlier and the idea that the ruling class, you know, or the matrix in this case, you know, it doesn't have to, like, besides, like, purges, I guess, between every, like, you know, new version, like, it doesn't have to uh, resort to, you know, uh, crushing, you know, its boot on your neck, right? Because mm -hmm. it can pacify you through other, like, like violent but non-explicitly violent means, right? Yep. And his, his Neil Patrick Harris's character was kind of like... This I was wondering if there was going to be any controversy, if any like dumbasses were kind of be going to be like, what is she trying to say about therapy? I also positive this online. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I'm, I'm pretty sure people are going to be like, well, you know, therapy works for me and X, Y, and Z, and it's like, well, I mean, like, that's actually a really fucking good point because, like, even in therapy psychotherapy, like, it's not about what other. It's not a lot of it isn't about what external factors can contribute. To someone's right. mental illness, right? It's mm -hmm. not about the fact that we live in this fucking horrible, soul-crushing society. Yes. You have to fucking been go to work for like half of your, or almost all of your fucking life and retire in debt, right? Or not retire at all. It's it's very much about like, okay, we're we're going to kind of tweak these things by providing people with this uh this this kind of wellness, right? And almost like this mm -hmm. new agey kind of like this new age shit masquerading as like therapy. And also, again, the pills. Like, the one scene, the mm -hmm. earliest scene yep. where Neo smiles in is when his therapist asks him, do you want any more pills? He's like, yeah. Yes, please. Yes. yes. Please. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And I thought that, again, was, like, kind of genius in the way that, like, I mean, you know, medicine and prescription drugs have sort of, like, you know, placated us all in today's society. You know, especially mm -hmm. given, like, not to make it too overtly political, but the opioid epidemic, right? Yep. Especially yes. something like that, you know? So I thought that was, I thought that was really good. You have a good point there, yeah. Definitely. Well, and you you bring up an excellent point, which is that it's not whether or not therapy is good or bad. It's the mm. fact that like we aren't properly diagnosing the problem, right? Absolutely. Like we're we're using therapy as an insufficient means to ameliorate these feelings of alienation, yeah. atomization, mm. like exploitation, whatever. And you know, attempting to feel better and maybe reckon with trauma, but the trauma is happening on a daily quotidian basis. And Absolutely. that's the stuff we're not talking about. Definitely. Absolutely. One of the other things Damn. I was thinking about in, in this regard, and, and I'll, I'll say this, uh, Emily Vanderwerf, uh, like critic at large for Vox.com, mm. um, who, uh, is probably like one of the preeminent I think understanders of all things matrix. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she wrote a, a couple of brilliant pieces about like the, uh, the trans allegory sort of at the heart of the original film and, and it's subsequent sequels. Mm. Um, and it, it, she's, she's just brilliant on, on this topic and wrote, uh, at length about the therapy because she too was like there there's a really gross read of this and then there's a more incisive and interesting read of this element of of the story and i think it works twofold right i think one of the things that uh it it, it manages to do is talk about the ways in which we often use uh therapy or or use drugs and and medication and and use all these other stimuli as a means to like placate uh and and to remove from us that kind of nascent anxiety that that capitalism and like the, the neoliberal project breeds just inherently through its extractive and exploitative qualities. But one of the other things she mentions is that 
uh, one, Neil Patrick Harris's character is not a good therapist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he's trash. And that also, <laughs> it, and that it also acts as yet another element of meta narrative commentary. Um, that like modern blockbusters and and franchise reboots, especially when it comes to like Marvel movies, and I think especially of like the most recent uh, Halloween film that David Gordon Green did, mm. uh, talking about like the the commodification of trauma as a as a story point or as a crutch narratively, um, mm. and that and that we reduce it down to its most simplistic form and make it not like a continuous project of recovering from a trauma, but just like this sort of cancerous sort of black spot in people's psyches mm. that they can't get over Damn. and so like make that something that that neil also has to transcend and move beyond in order to to grow into his next life um, and i thought that, that was a really interesting point i was like yeah it, it, it does work in a lot of ways of course there will be people who misinterpret and just say the matrix is is anti-therapy <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah I mean, that's the thing, too, again, that we were talking about earlier is that, like, I mean, I've seen takes, you know, on this film that are, like, not just superficial, but I think, I think not, uh, like, fandom can be very contentious, and I'm saying this as someone who grew up, with, like, loving, like, DC Comics mm -hmm. and being mm -hmm. on comic book message boards and all that, but I think that, like, I think what's toxic now with fandom, like, what Andrew uh, Garfield kind of talks about in that quote is this sort of this appealing to market forces where fans themselves sort of look at the success of a franchise based on like, you know, it's Rotten Tomatoes meter rating and how many people are talking about on social media. And I mean, some of them are even willing to kind of forego this, this, I don't want to say that all, all adaptations should be faithful for the material, but if it's successful for the fans and they can get more of that shit, like they're going to be like, hell yeah, it was fucking great. Mm -hmm. yep. And to create something like this for people who are fans of the original or the whole series and then make it be something like, no, we're actually having a conversation and addressing things about like, well, what did you expect from this? And why were you upset that you didn't get what you expected? Mm -hmm. I again think that's fucking genius, right? I think that's yep. genius. Totally. And it takes a very talented director to be able to do that without making it like uh, too ham fisted or for, you know, my eyes to like glaze over like 20 minutes, in, you know? For sure. Yeah, definitely. It it makes me think of uh, the Last Jedi in in the Star Wars sequels. You know, like the, <laughs> yeah. the middle chapter. And and I'll say this: I'm not a huge fan of that movie. I think that it's maybe the only one of the sequels that's like worth revisiting because there mm. is some interesting stuff going on there. But I think also what that movie reveals is that uh, the Star Wars universe is relatively like bereft of like new ideas or anything like revolutionary or interesting after yeah. like just sort of the the recognition of the symbols. Not to mention J.J. Abrams literally regurgitated the first movie and left someone to pick up the pieces and try to make something new and different. Yeah. Um, whereas this this reboot or sequel or you know rehash here is starting from a foundation of upending everything. Um, I, but, I wanted to I wanted to just bring something up about that, and this is why Star Wars I think is um is sort of this like it's always going to be repetitive and recursive. Um, Frederick Jameson, uh, one of these like kind of like a radical kind of uh, social critics, what he, he he talks about this sort of nostalgia that's formal, like a formal nostalgia, which mm -hmm. means that this is nostalgia that's based on this um formulas it's formulaic right and he talks about star wars because when the star wars came out in the 70s it was sort of a reimagining a little bit a pastiche if you will of all of the pulp fiction kind of space opera mm. like you know space cowboy with his guns and like you know this kind of science fiction fantasy realm that like you know uh 
the the parents of those kids watching Star Wars in the 70s grew up on, right? Every Saturday morning, mm-hmm. they would watch this. So that medium by like in and of itself is already formulaic, right? It's kind of hard to break out of it and create new stories that are not literally about like, you know, some sa- space cowboy who's saving the space princess <laughs> and saving the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But the Matrix gets the opportunity to not do that because, I mean, of its story. Because it literally yeah. is about repetition. It literally yep. is about kind of breaking out of that, you know? Yeah. I said I said almost the exact same thing after we had finished it. I was like, this property is really the only one that can play with these ideas precisely because of the world that the Wachowskis have built. Yeah. Yes. That is yeah, already absolutely. sort of commenting on the, you know the emptiness and the violence of these hegemonic forces. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's a really good point about Star Wars too, that because it's coming from this place of like mm-hmm. already being a formula, it's kind of trapped in that. And it makes me think too about your, your point about capitalist realism mm-hmm. and the role that that plays, you know, under this sort of like churn of neoliberalism where, um, the Fukuyama quote, right? Like mm. the end of history or, or Margaret yeah. Thatcher's, like there is no alternative mm. that that is kind of like evidence of this, um, of this commitment to the formula, right? Like yeah. that yeah. even media participates in this idea that there is no alternative. You make the very astute point in your piece that that is where this, sort of opining for nostalgia is rooted yeah. in that it's from this inability to imagine something different and i think lana is trying to fight against that a little bit even if yeah. she's still sort of you know playing in some familiar territory i think she is trying to help us think beyond our previous experiences and undermine our desire for certainty and familiarity at every yeah. turn yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, the the scene where they're in fighting in that barn or whatever, and there's the French guy. Was he a character in one of the other films? Like, yeah. that's, the that's the Merovingian. That's the Merovingian from the Jesus, sequels. Man. Yeah, he comes back <laughs> and he's talking about like originality mattered and X, Y, and Z and all this shit. Oh man, yeah. And it's like, I feel like that 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 I feel like point in the film. Uh, if you really don't like, if you don't like the film after seeing that then I think that everything that we've been talking about, and I'm not saying that you can understand everything we're talking about now and still fucking hate the film, right? But I think that's kind of a litmus test, you know? Yes. It's kind of a litmus test that's like, okay, well, how invested are you in the the kind of like uh, mode of storytelling that Lana decided to embark on, right? Where it's like familiar enough, but also tweaked and like meta-tweaked to kind of fuck with you a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yep. Like the, I don't know the character's name. Um, I should know the actor's name who played a uh, Morpheus two point oh. Yaya Abdul Mateen the second is is oh, the actor's name. Oh Jesus Christ, that's yeah. such a regal name. Holy shit! Uh, it is. I know it is. <laughs> for the record, who I think does a, a really terrific job, like stellar, taking up like a, a pretty impossible task of of filling uh, Lawrence Fishburne's shoes for that role. Oh, I thought it was fucking great, man. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I I I saw. <laughs> I saw a tweet from somebody I won't name. I like the guy a lot, but I saw a tweet. Where I was kind of disagreed. He was like, um, white people like the new Morpheus, right? And I felt like it's a <laughs> kind of was a commentary on like, you know, playing this like um, this uh, hip, cooler version of Morpheus that like, you know, that people in the seats, if they've never seen Lawrence Fishburne's like uh, portrayal, 
Um, especially if they're younger, they might like enjoy it more. But I think that's like, I don't know. I think that's all kind of bullshit. I don't know why he decided to play the character as he did, but I would have rather that than trying to play Lawrence Fishburne's character yeah, in totally. the original. You know, the, I mean, what did people expect? You know, I thought it was fucking great. Yeah. Well, you, you're you bringing up something I wanted to ask you, which is that, you know, we're talking about the ways in which Lana is trying to challenge this, like, impulse toward formula, this, you mm. know, our, our desire for nostalgia and certainty. And mm. in your piece, you talk about one of the ways that nostalgia um, can be frustrated is through race bending. And mm, you yeah. mention uh, Miles Morales as an example of this. Mm. And it made me think about you know, uh, a critique that was often lobbed at the original trilogy and I think can also be applied to this film, but I, w- mm. I would like your take on it, which mm. is that that feels like one way that Lana isn't necessarily challenging nostalgia. Yeah. There isn't, you know, she's still yeah. giving us Keanu and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and Carrie Ann Moss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yes, like there are characters of color that populate um, the landscape in both movies. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they were doing diverse casting before it was like a boardroom call. Right. Yeah. But, but she's still not necessarily um, utilizing that kind of, that kind of, uh, radical impulse toward yeah. like bringing in marginalized experiences and perspectives. I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. That's that's a really good point. You just made me think of something. Um, and I'll elaborate on it more. But imagine if so, if Morpheus, because he's like, um, I forget even Morpheus. Look at um, um, the whole DSI thing. I think it was called where one of the characters was telling Neo, "Well, we were looking for a Thomas Anderson at the company that you worked for, but we were looking for like the wrong person, or you didn't look the way that we would thought you would look, right? Mm-hmm. Because they kind of fucked with your your semblance code or the way you see yourself right. versus the way the other people see you." And I was like, "Okay, so if that was the case, instead of bringing back Keanu Reeves, why the fuck didn't you just put in like a black dude or some shit like that, or a non-white, or even like a non-white woman?" And then say, this is the reason, and uh, Keanu could have had a dope little cameo, maybe when he looked, when this character looked into the mirror and saw this older rendition. But I think, like, obviously, Keanu Reeves, I mean, he carried the fucking series, right? So I guess that's a risky thing to do. But in terms of, like, the race bending, yeah, it's like, if you're you're Lana, you're probably not going to do that as a white person, right? And, like, maybe not even because it's risky, it's just because, like, you yourself are locked into this, like racial matrix order of you know this racial order of a matrix where yes i mean i'm not even coming at you it's just kind of the way you see the world you know but that's Completely. actually an interesting question yeah, yeah. i mean I, i'll say this you know that there is like a an interesting sort of expression of of like queer and non-binary identity in in this movie and in, yeah. in you know the the early ones too you know the wachowskis mm-hmm. both being uh trans women yeah. and I, I i think you know some of the characters in in the film maybe identify as non-binary who are members of the crew and then of course Jonathan Groff and Neil Patrick Harris are mm-hmm. interesting choices because they're both gay actors who are mm-hmm. kind of um sort of these bastions in culture of like what would be considered like gay assimilation right like yeah. like both yeah. of them have portrayed uh like straight white male and 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 present that way in some of the other works they do like Mindhunter mm-hmm. and How I Met Your Mother things like that mm-hmm. Gone Girl um, so, so there's an interesting kind of like, uh, 
entendre going on there you know where it's like yeah. you know th- th- these guys are are playing these sort of like assimilationist like handler programs and also mm-hmm. represent that within like society at large anyway but mm-hmm. um I, I do get what you mean with with a lot of the the race stuff going on here and, and the wachowskis have never been particularly good on this lana yeah. has like has like neon dreads and and it's been a, a topic of conversation <laughs> oh i got attacked on that community. for twitter the other day i don't give yeah. a shit i said on twitter the other day that like bro like that's some 2005 shit give a fuck about a white person having dreads and i will say that like my parents are from my family's from jamaica man so yeah. like if anyone can talk about like you know like dreadlocked hair hair i'm the one but yeah people got really like um people were getting her about that and that's i mean yeah it's cultural appropriation i can stand when people get upset about it you know what i'm saying comments sure. aside that i made that made people upset but yeah i've heard she's never really been good on race so that 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 tracks yeah. and i don't know if you've ever seen uh cloud atlas i just watched it for the first time oh, uh this, this last week have you seen it <laughs> Yeah, man, I've yeah. had to see that shit twice because I fell asleep during the first watch. So it yeah, it didn't really work for me either. It's a little bit of a slog. I, I appreciate its ambition, but even in that movie, you know, like because they have the same actors portraying different characters yeah. throughout like multiple timelines, there's an instance of an Asian actress in whiteface in one of them. Yeah. And then there's also <laughs> an instance of two white actors ostensibly in yellow face where they yes. like, kind of like put them in makeup that makes them look Korean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so like and at the <laughs> end, and I would say at the end too, I found it was interesting. If I'm correct, the end in this uh, kind of like um, way, way post-apocalyptic, like far future society, like uh, where like human beings have kind of begin to like kind of uh, reassemble society. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of like the characters are black, you know, yeah. like, or they're not white. And I thought that like, okay, now that you've been kind of fucking around with like all this like weird race bending throughout the whole film, like now you're throwing a bone, like, okay, like it's, it's, it's not that bad, you know, but right. no, it was right. horrible. It was fucking pretty <laughs> terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly one of the things that I think that, uh, you know, even the staunchest defenders of the Wachowskis will admit that they are, uh, not the most adept at is, is their handling of, of racial politics for sure. <laughs> well, and you, you bring up the point too in your piece that like you know all of these sort of like message boards and fandoms Mm -hmm. where they are lamenting changes like a miles morales um being uh the new spider-man and kind of like through a a predisposed racial lens like assuming that peter parker had to die right in order for that to take to (laughs) to happen instead of just sort of like understanding that miles morales is spider-man period end of sentence right like, yeah he didn't that- have to be a white character first of all he's a fictional character also i mean he's more like <laughs> black than anything he's a fucking kid from queens i'm a kid from queens you know mm-hmm. what i mean like i mean it's like people that got mad about perry white uh lawrence fishburne being perry white or you know all these other things it's like dude like it's not like i mean i it's not like the characters like that they're changing is like Shang Chi or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Or a mm. Black Panther. Right. Like it literally could be anybody. It doesn't fucking matter. Which I will pose again. I thought it would have been interesting if Lana instead of just took Keanu out and said, This is the same Neo. This is just a new version of the Matrix where he just likes some Doctor Who shit, man. That yeah. would be kind of fucking cool, yo. Can you yeah. imagine like the conniption people would have had oh, yeah. if like Yaya was casted as yeah. as Neo, right? Yeah. Like but this is what you're talking about, right? In in your piece too where it's like that mm. even that like that impulse is kind of defanged past a certain point because we are so dependent on these market forces and these Absolutely. test groups that are inherently operating from a place of white bias yeah 
Absolutely. I mean, like one thing I'll say like about that too is like, I mean, even look when, you know, uh, the Marvel movies are a better example. Look at the Eternals or look at something like Shang-Chi or Black Panther. Like, you know, I could watch those movies as a black dude, right? Or Black Panther specifically and have many issues with that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. besides the whole Killmonger is like actually the hero, which I mean, yeah. obviously, totally, you know, <laughs> it's just like, it's also just like, even when these films or these content creators are trying to elevate marginalized voices, like it's either like pandering way too much or the Eternals where you make the first like gay, like superhero responsible for fucking Hiroshima. You know what I mean? It's like, or like we were talking about yeah. earlier, they make like the black cops in these like movies, mm-hmm. you know, yes. these 90s thrillers. And it's like, yeah, motherfucker, like I don't want to be involved with the black characters are cool. I don't want to be involved with the non like fucked up black racist shit though. I'm good on that, you know. Yep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Completely. It's the it's the same conversation around 007, right? Where it's yeah. like we we can't imagine that it can just be that this man is Idris Elba. Like there has to be <laughs> yeah. he has to either be a villain or or, you know, it's like there's still this impenetrable center that that uh people don't want touched Mm -hmm. and that is what's preventing us from you know doing the thing that you assert at the end of your piece which is like making something new like going beyond the the thing that we know and are comforted by and just making something new yeah absolutely yeah and if if the response from like the fanboys on the internet is any indication like lana is doing a really great job of pissing off all the people who don't want anything new and just yeah want, well they're like, already the upset about everything. oh are people are people i haven't looked at a because usually what i do is i go to reddit you know mm-hmm. and i like look at shit are people like upset i mean i figured they would be yeah i mean pe- there are a lot of people who really don't like this movie and specifically i think like the the sort of like uh white nerd like youtube set you know who yeah. have like you know a couple hundred thousand subscribers and is just... resurrections too woke like those kind of fucking people yeah well and, and so there's <laughs> there is part of it that's like a challenge of like oh wokeism taking over it's like did you ever watch these movies like did you know who made these movies like this, <laughs> exactly. this was not this was not a thing that was ever like designed and made like for like cis white guys you know no uh but but one of the things that i i see coming up in like reiterated so often is like people saying that like lana did it wrong right or like Mm. oh like you know like that meta commentary makes it sound like she was sort of like dragged into it in order to like fulfill a contract or Mm, or you know to like avoid having the the studio do it without her Mm -hmm. uh and and i even yeah i I keep coming back to this because there's all these like this like specific rhetoric where people say like uh she didn't she didn't make a good matrix movie or like saying like oh if she didn't want to do it maybe she should have given it to someone who would have done it right and i and i think all that misses the point like mm. the the movie is about the fact that there isn't a right way to do a matrix movie and the fact that you perceive that there is is the problem it's the commodification of the idea it's the commodification of the story you know absolutely someone someone said uh this is not original idea i wish i came up with it but um it, it's a really good um takeaway from the film is that the Matrix is about how, like, I mean, and a character even says in the film, right? The Matrix is about how all of the stories that we tell ourselves end up imprisoning us, you know? Mm. Yep. And I feel like, like, as we've been saying, like, this whole time, I feel like, you know, if you're uncomfortable with some of the changes made or you think that it should have been handed off to somebody else, well, I mean, like, handing it off to somebody else doesn't necessarily mean, like, you know, a change. You want it to stay more of the same by passing it off to somebody who you think will faithfully honor the franchise and 
the whole entire franchise is about like i mean it's about a lot of things but it's about storytelling mm-hmm. right i mean it literally is about this fucking rea- virtual reality gets rebooted like you know every version and sort of the 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 reliving that we all have to do and sort of breaking out of that and i think yeah. who better to handle that than the person that came up with the fucking idea in the first place yes. to break out of that you know 100 <laughs> like, percent completely and this brings me back to uh that that scene with the merovingian with the frenchman mm-hmm. when they're you know kind of in that fight sequence uh i was thinking about it while we were we were talking about it briefly earlier that there is almost like a sort of self-flagellating element to the way that that part is like scripted and written where the Merovingian (laughs) is looking at Neo, this creation, this product of Lana, who's also writing the dialogue and the words that the Merovingian is saying Mm -hmm. and Uh saying, and saying your victory, your success is the reason we're stuck in this mess. Mm -hmm. Why nothing is original anymore. Why, why we can't break out of it. Why like culture and art is degrading. It's your fault. Like we used to care about, interesting ideas and mm. new things and now we don't anymore because you made a really good movie you know oh, shit that's <laughs> such a fucking good point holy that's shit wild. man yeah i mean and that's the thing why i think people got to enjoy about this film right and i mean the, the franchise and when i say the franchise honestly i didn't like the uh the other two in between this mm. one like i really didn't um I mean, the, the stories were just a little too muddled, but I like enjoy them in the sense that this was like Neo's journey, right? And it came right. to well a seeming conclusion until this one. But I think like like people who who kind of say stuff like that, it's just sort of like, well, I mean, I think that again, that appreciation that I had for the original by saying like, yo, this is like something that I've never seen before, right? Of course, it was going to be inevitable that the studio would find a way to like capitalize and monetize it. Actually, you know what? I'll change what I said before. I said that I don't think this film was groundbreaking in like any sort of way. And I'm not comparing it to the original. And I don't think it will be the original, like the original for new audiences. But it was groundbreaking the same way that the original had these special effects, mm-hmm. especially that people ne- never seen before. This is like a new, this is like an elevation of storytelling. Yes. Where again, it's like holding so many things in super position in my mind at the same time. That again, I have to say, like, yo, is this on purpose? Like, did mm-hmm. she know this was going to happen, or is it just like an outcome of making something built on repetitiveness and recursion? Shit, yes. that just blew my mind. Fuck, man. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> and the fact yeah. that we're we don't really have an answer is maybe also the point, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. We're yes. we're so so in a place of uncertainty and 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 precarity um that is designed right mm-hmm. there there it doesn't have to be that way but here we are and so we crave certainty at every turn and i think it's really interesting that we could have a conversation about this film mm-hmm. and assert ideas that we you know believe to a certain degree but still not fully have an answer for everything perfectly yeah. that's revolutionary that yeah. is like fighting against this hegemony that we're talking about so yeah. even if it's, you know, incidental or, um, you know, not fully purposeful on her part, to your point, the exercise itself of, of the question and, and us being challenged in this way is putting us in a posture that breaks us out of participating in the formula to a certain it, degree. Absolutely. It kind of, I don't know if this makes sense. It's a little bit too heady, but um, uh, the Morpheus 2.0 says in this film, he says something like, you know, um, it kind of posits if not all of real of reality is the result of like dreams, you know, mm-hmm. in fiction. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think that can be said for sort of like 
the meta textual like you know context of the film but also the commentary you know whether or not we're trying to figure out like a a chicken or the egg kind of situation right Mm -hmm. like was this premeditated or because as an artist there are sometimes like or as a writer there are times where like i don't know how a piece is going to turn out until it comes out right and just by sort of putting these ideas together like they naturally kind of you know coagulate into something you know Mm -hmm. like this piece for example like i had no idea i was going to talk about race bending Hmm. i had no fucking idea i was gonna talk about that you know yeah and then i was just like i was thinking about nostalgia and i'm like okay like why is it some people like get mad about like because cowboy bebop originally what i was going to talk about i'm happy i did it if this film came out when I was like right working on it, I would have talked about this film. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, again, I think that like the fact that Lana's creating like this contentious debate over the film kind of tells me that she did exactly what she set out to do. Um, maybe not with the original, but you know, again, like you know, things change and the franchise had to change, and I think it was pretty updated, at least if not as much for our current socioeconomic reality. It's updated in the terms of the way that we have been telling stories through media for the past like 20 something years, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think really she was on the money point. on that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Completely. Yeah. And this brings me to another thing I wanted to talk about, which mm-hmm. is that I have seen some people be very critical of uh, sort of a, what they would, I guess, call like an inert quality to the storytelling mm-hmm. or to the conflict mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's relatively uh, low stakes in the, in the film, yeah. right. Or that, or that things feel kind of stakeless. And I, I realized that one of the things that I think people rebelled against with the, the sequels to the original Matrix was that the first one had a very simple sort of origin story, right? It's like mm. the, the most special boy, right? Like the one, <laughs> yeah. this, you know, breaks free of his confinements, learns like lessons, grows and becomes like this sort of like new, stronger, learned uh, liberator, right? Like, like he, Sir Arthur is some shit like that, you ex- know. Like exactly. he goes away, comes back, and he. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's 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 the it's the Campbellian sort of you know like hero's yeah. journey over and over and over again, mm-hmm. um, and it makes sense to people when people find the formula pleasing, especially in a movie that has a lot of sort of new ideas and aesthetic qualities to it. That's mm-hmm. that's revolutionizing things on a more sort of. Uh, sort of visual plane and, and the way that it's executing that story. And that's why that that movie, I think, is so groundbreaking. In the sequels, it, it literally like pulls the pin and blows up its own mythology and says, mm. oh, that thing that we talked about in the first movie, that you're the one or that you're like somehow like the most special boy, that's mm. just another layer of control. Like we invented that. You're yeah. not the one, right? Yeah. And, and it was challenging and it was frustrating and confounding for a lot of people. And I think with this film too, like, especially when we when we get out of the matrix and we are introduced to Io to the new mm-hmm. human city that Jada Pinkett Smith's uh, character Niobe is now like the leader of yeah. we are really seeing like the afterglow of the revolution and i think that so often like movies and and storytelling emphasize the conflict and emphasize the battle and then mm-hmm. when the battle's won is when the story ends because what mm-hmm. happens afterward is often uh, more intricate and complicated, but less like interesting from like a more visceral exactly. kind of level. Less cinematic, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because you got to you got to plan a society, and you have to plan the beginning of a new civilization. And how yep. fuck interesting can it be for it be council meetings for us to decide like what we're going to do, or to work <laughs> out the little nitty gritty of which this one, like you said, Aaron, it's like I I didn't. This takes place sixty years, I guess, after the events of mm-hmm. um the last film, right? It's not twenty. Neo thinks it's twenty which is, again, the meta thing, but it's actually been 60 years, right? Mm -hmm. And to still see that, like, so 
there was this one there was this one thing where when he asked like well what did it change like everything that we did kind of felt for naught right mm-hmm. and you see that there's kind of this uh, alliance at least with um with some um i forget what they call them in the film but some of the robots who come to the human side right mm-hmm. to fight for them and you know i'm not gonna lie when i saw that i was like well it doesn't feel like for as as transformative as what he had done Right in that, like, like the end of like, I guess revolutions, right? Where suddenly, oh, even though he's blinded, he can still see the source code, right, mm-hmm. in the real world, right? Yeah. And how transformative that must be for you know a human civilization that's like under the heel of this, like you know this this machine. Um, I kind of felt like, yeah, it doesn't feel like much has really changed, right? But I mean, also too, I think that the again the the point of the film is. And the series is sort of like this continuous struggle, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, things might not change as much I, as I expect them, again, as an audience viewer, right? Yep. But I mean, at the same time, it's like it did feel it did feel like there were stakes enough where I cared more about more than the liberation of like these people. I cared about the liberation of Trinity, especially. Yes. Yep. And I yes. think like if you thought that if you were upset about like, you know, this film for all these different reasons, I really think it was cool the way it sort of mirrored the first film, right? Where uh, now Neo is the one that has to free Trinity. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was a love story. And I mean, people can, you know, say all they want about that and being sappy, but I really enjoyed that because it made it feel fresh and new. Yes. Without being fresh and new. Kind of like the whole vibe with this film. It's very yes. weird. It's very weird and successful, I think, at what it does. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And the, the thing about it being a love story, too, is that like she is asserting that liberation comes in the form of human connection, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It's a pretty yes. socialist message, whether yes. she's intending yes, it, it to be or not. Like she is saying, like, it's not, you're not gonna find it in uh individual acts of heroism you are going to find it in connection with other humans. And and that is the thing that is more powerful than machines, more powerful than, you know, any sort of invisible systems of control. Mm -hmm. And even, even with, you know, the problems that some of the earlier movies and that this film may have, that still feels like a revolutionary message to a certain degree. Yeah. 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 No, I absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. And I mean, like, I think it's interesting that like, I think I was um like when I was kind of like re- kind of rereading and like checking out scenes and shit from the other films um, before this one came out. It's like all of the other versions of the Matrix had like, you know, a person called the one. Right. And mm-hmm. they all were kind of fueled by their like general love for humanity. Mm-hmm. But Neo not only has that general love for humanity, but it's tethered kind of through Trinity and yes. I think that, like, for me, you know, as a communist, it's like, dude, I'm not imagining, like, all of the, you know, eight fucking billion people out there, right? But I think about my nephew. Yes. You know, who's like, I'm sorry if you guys have hear, been hearing him scream. He's, like, awake now, whatever. No. But, uh, <laughs> but, like, but, like um, um, yeah, that, like, that I felt, like, was really realistic. Because it's like, yeah, dude, I'm not conceptualized. It's not faceless masses of people. It right. often is about the people in the real life, in, in your real life, who you know immediately who connect you to the real world you know and yes. i mean that's a classic story you can't really fuck that up you know? right uh and all of this is is making me think of like another sort of like meta textual moment um mm-hmm. with another new character one of the 
humans who's who's part of this uh cadre of like ship captains his name's shepherd i think um he's like Shep- the bleach the bleach blonde character yeah. when they go into the matrix and he's also like responsible for kind of like locking up neo uh once he's been freed at in io and they're having this conversation where shepherd literally says you know uh things are different now it feels like things used to be much simpler people wanted mm-hmm. to be free you know like we used to just like free people from the matrix and and i think that it's it's again lana reckoning with that nature of the binary of the conflict mm-hmm. of like the good versus the evil and like mm-hmm. the matrix versus the real world which is further obfuscated by the fact that we're now pulling synthians and, and programs out yes. of the matrix and, and manifesting yes. them in, in our world as well you know um but it, you know in your piece you have this this kind of bit uh about futurelessness and uh, forgive me if these aren't your words. I think they are, but I'll mm. just quote in and you say simply pining for days when it seemed as if a better world was really possible distorts the sacrifices made by those before us and the viciousness of their enemies. Yeah. And I was just kind of like conceding of that, like as I was rewatching the movie, you know, like this idea that's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, there, something did change, you know, like there was this revolution. There is sort of this like synthesis into like a new world order and this sort of like yearning for and saying, well, it used to be simpler, right? It used to just be exactly. machines versus humans. And we used to go into the matrix and pull people out like that longing exactly. that you have is distorting the the earnestness and the import of the movies that came before. Right. Yeah. It, Absolutely. It's, it's trivializing the story we've already told feeling that way. Mm. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, that I mean, obviously, those things happen like, you know, like they, they don't happen while you're watching, right? They happen after the fact, right? After you've been sitting on this, like, you know, series or this film that, you know, you love. And I mean, like me, I could watch that film like a dozen times, right? Yep. Like, I'll never get tired of watching that. And it it's weird. You made me think of like, it's kind of weird the way that like, um, because content creators are very familiar with the idea that nostalgia creates like this kind of bond you know with a product or with a brand that um i mean is is incredibly powerful but also this film kind of leading you away from that you know and the fact that like it's it's also just like the characters talk about how they've sanitized like neo right like he he was this hero that i mean they all inspired them Mm -hmm. and now it's just kind of like this joke right i mean there's even there's even a scene where they're in that cabin again, and I forget which two characters are talking, but they're like, um, she's like, so what do you think about him, Neo? You know, do you really think he's the one? And then Agent Smith comes in, and they're like, we've heard so many stories about these people. It's almost like the fandom of the franchise within the film itself. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Because these characters have their own canon. And, I mean, you guys are really making me think now, like, the things that I disliked about the film were things that I was holding on to about the original. <laughs> And talking about this and realizing how these changes weren't made, you know, just to kind of be just controversial for controversy's sake, but were actually like a storytelling device, you know, and a thematic device in order to challenge like this culture of recursion that I talk about in my piece. It makes me have a lot more appreciation. And I think if if I think a film is good when people are divided on whether it's good. Yeah. Right. I think yep. that's like, it's kind of like a good metric for like whether or not like a film is good. And I mean, this one, especially 20 years after the original, which, you know, people have such fond memories of. And even within the series itself, this film itself, where people had a fonder memory of mm-hmm. after this revolution, mm-hmm. where actually, like you were saying, Aaron, it's more nuanced, right? People now have a choice of whether or not they want to leave the Matrix, right? Yeah. Now, 
because of the plethora of like um, media, right, and um, that we have due to you know the internet collapsing all time. Mm. Now I can go onto these message boards. Now I can actually go to Netflix and watch this film and pick apart the uh, the successor to the original, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and it's kind of like yeah, people should be able to do that, but at the same time, like I don't know, it's kind of weird. I'm rambling, but yeah, that's that's a very weird idea that. We have this flattening of all media where we can access at any point. And that's kind of what creates like this contention over these franchises to begin with, you know? Yes, totally. Shit, that's really weird. You, you guys you, are like blowing my mind, man. This is this is insane. Yeah. This is I wouldn't write a part two of that piece now. Shit. This is I should say, Aaron, this is totally this was spurned by, spurred by the ideas you brought to the fore in your piece. Yeah. So you're blowing your own mind. Um, <laughs> you you end your piece with a, a, a sentence that I think sums up what what I think we're talking about as Lana's exercise, the the conversation she's having not only with her her previous pieces of of art but also with art making and storytelling more broadly in in uh you know the late stages of neoliberal capitalism and you say at the very end you say there is no refuge in the past or better world waiting for us we have to make it and the fact that there are conversations and ideas that this film is engendering regardless of the side you end up on that's a creative exercise in and of itself that's generative and the film itself i think is also trying to be generative by not adhering to the the formulas of the past it is trying to make something new but the the thing that you're the closing of your piece made me think about was our participation in that as well like uh, the responsibility that we have when we consume media to perhaps try to make something new um by having a conversation about it by challenging each other's thoughts and and your it's your piece that made me think that and i think it's a really beautiful sort of like punctuation mark on the story of the matrix and the matrix for itself which is that that's i think what lana wants she wants us to participate in in this creative exercise and break out of our, you know, our insistence on sticking to the familiar. Absolutely. And I mean, also too, um, just related to what we were saying is like the fact that, you know, there's this, this sort of like revolution at the end of the third film and then, you know, things have changed. Sure. But there's still struggle. Right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that like, there's, you know, it's not automatic that there's going to be like a utopia right at the end of the third film. And it's like, there's this quote that a lot of people like. I think it's Arundhati Roy, I think, is her name. And this quote mm-hmm. that people love um, where she says, a better world is waiting. You know, I can I can hear her like or something like that. And it's like sounds really fucking nice. But that's not really the way that the fucking world works. Right. Like right. there's no better world waiting for anybody. Right. Like that's something that, as you were saying, Carla, we actively have to participate in, especially on the battleground or the battlefield of media of a culture. Right. Yes. In yep. media. Like, you have a lot of people on the left, you know, that. um you know, as much as uh, the right does where they deride like what they call the culture war. Right. But I mean, like, dude, like, you know, culture comes from material conditions. I mean, yes. there's a reason why Alex Jones, you know, has a fucking show that millions of people listen to. You know, there's a reason why, like, we see all this copaganda. You know, mm-hmm. there's a reason why, like, in the 90s, as you were saying before, you brought up this amazing, like, comparison where, yeah, 
there are Agent Smiths and like, yes, this film has these SWAT dudes too, but it also has Neil Patrick Harris's character, right? And that that kind of uh, copaganda that I guess you could even say was in the original one, which I think was intentional, mm-hmm. right? Like that came out of like an actual culture at the time, yes. you know? And I think like to abandon culture is like really like fucking silly. And even if, I don't know, dude, even if you don't like something, like I don't, I like the Marvel films for their entertainment, um, but I recognize they're trash, but I'm never going to like castigate anyone for enjoying that media. Like I ne- I'm never going to do that to anyone, even if I think it's trash. Mm-hmm. And I think also in terms of, sure, you could say whatever you want about Lana. I mean, she's not like, she, she'll be fine. But I think like to kind of <laughs> castigate her for wanting to challenge, you know, like our perception of what media should and can be. I think that's like a little bit like, it's a little bit short-sighted and, mm-hmm. I don't know. Not telling you to go back and watch the original, but maybe go watch a fucking Marvel film. Then I don't know, like one of the four or five Spider Mans that, like, whatever, dude, do whatever you want. No. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And and also that, like, you know, we're not we're participating in a certain level of oppression by Mm -hmm. castigating Mm -hmm. that. Really, that that's also us kind of like working with what the system wants us to do, which is operate in these binaries. And and like Absolutely. decide that there's a right and a wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. And Absolutely. this this brings me to uh, another point that I wanted to talk about, which mm-hmm. is that I don't know if either of you got this, but to me, there were elements of this that felt like uh, Lana's indictment of liberal complacency and, and yes. participation mm-hmm. in systems of oppression, specifically, wildly enough, in a post-Trump era, despite this movie being made largely before the, the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I found it interesting that one of sort of like the principal conflicts in the film is not between like machine and mankind. It's within the inner like personal relationships of, of the people. It's, it's between yeah. Niobe and Bugs and Niobe and, yeah. and Neo and, and, and what the they machines want. themselves even, right? right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. The programs themselves. Yeah, totally. And yeah. I, I, I found this funny. Um, we're gonna, we don't usually, you know, uh, directly call out or, or read anybody's pieces on this show but uh but but grace lavery uh for bitch media wrote uh, a review of this that i think is just like such a such a bad take that i want to read at least the opening paragraph of please, it. please please do it's, oh I, I love bad takes i love hating on them i love it it's so so grace's piece is called please take the blue pill oh no and the first paragraph says this <clears throat> for goddess's sake take the blue pill Okay, the lighting in the Matrix isn't great and everything has an eerie green tint because that's how old-timey computers were presumed to look in the late 90s. But it's so much worse underground. When Thomas Anderson, Keanu Reeves, emerges downstairs, jelly-faced and crestfallen like a lubed-up Dave Batista, making his way out of a birthing canal for douchebags, he surely it's must a realize... horrible writing. Jesus, it's horrible <laughs> so writing. Bad. Anyway, she opened Such it with for writing. goddesses Yeah, for goddesses Kill me. <laughs> like, okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, so she says, uh, w- when Keanu emerges downstairs, jelly-faced and crestfallen like a lubed-up Dave Batista, making his way out of a birthing canal for douchebags, he surely must realize what a stupid, pointless mistake he's made. Choose the nice gay therapist. Choose the sycophants and the MILF in the coffee shop. And uh, That's some back-to-brunch <laughs> shit. That's so gross. Well, and that's what I thought. You know, it's like it, I, I thought it was like really fascinating that like the, the movie seems to be making a point about that very ethos uh, yeah. in this new society. And you have these sort of like, you know, blue check kind of uh, more like progressive liberal uh, commentators and, and uh, 
pundits saying like, yeah, that, that is good. Take the blue pill. That stuff is the good stuff. Um, Jesus Christ. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, did she, you know what she, you know, she watch, you should watch the, uh, you should watch the, the animatrix. Um, uh, yes. first, the first short from it, or I guess the two part short where it shows yep. you how the matrix is made Second and Renaissance. ask you same thing. This is the thing with liberalism, right? Is that yes. these people love to talk about systems, but they never like to identify the system. Yep. They like to talk about black lives matter and X, Y, and Z, but all of this is very aesthetic and superficial mm-hmm. for them because they never want to talk about actually changing the underlying system. So of course it makes perfect sense for somebody to like be like, well, you know, this alt- alternate reality is pretty fucking shitty, but look at the ugliness of like the real world yes. where it's like, yes. well, how is that artificial reality created it was created through like thousands of years of like human enslavement where yes. we were, like fucking used as little batteries it's horrifying right yes. the animatrix just t- depicts it in a really terrifying nightmarish way mm-hmm. you know and that's what i think is so fascinating about the sort of like matrix 7.0 in this mm-hmm. in this film which is yeah, that it actually yeah. is pretty like they make it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the sun shines and the the skyscapes look, you know, really beautiful and perfect. They're even remarked upon as being almost too perfect. That's and, true. You're right. And so, like, there is this quality to it that is like softer and less oppressive than sort of the the kind of like white collar drudgery of the mm-hmm. the late '90s and the sort of like the the unfulfilled promise or or very fulfilled promise of the end of history, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um. And it's just sort of the way that we have kind of commodified and corporatized and and uh, individualized our own internalization of our oppression, right? And and that this mm. thing looks good because it's it's giving us the illusion of consumer choices and things to like stimulate us and create this noise. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's like you are you're literally oppressed by the machine. You are plugged in. You are being uh, used as a as a means of extraction for someone yeah. else's benefit, something else's benefit. And one of the most, I think, persistent and interesting evolutions in the storytelling, specifically in this film, is swarm mode. Mm. Yeah, the bots. Yeah, that it's no longer like individual agents that are like fused over people or that like certain people can become agents, but that they are disseminated into a population, Mm -hmm. right? And that it can be anybody. And I I thought a lot about the ways in which uh, like the system and like the security state deputizes people mm-hmm. who believe in the system to like uh to, to to weed out dissidents you know that like normal people can like rat out their neighbors and stuff yeah, like that that you know what that that and also like kind of like the the uh the militarization of this like self-policing surveillance state right but yeah. that yes. and also so i was i was talking about before and kind of one of the criticisms i had we were talking about earlier was that i wish that there was more of this uh, maybe overt sort of um, depiction or commentary on social media. Mm-hmm. And um, also the fact that we all have these devices on our, um, you know, on our person all the time. And actually the whole swarm and bot thing. So I've been thinking lately, like the way we used to think about like in the nineties, for example, when that film came out, right. The way we used to think about um, the internet or logging online was that you had to sit in front of this computer that looked very much like the computers in the nineties film, these big blocky gray computers. Right. And you had, that was your point of access, right. Mm-hmm. To the internet. Now we live in this world where like, I mean, you're carrying the shit around with you in your pocket all the time. So yes. it's never entering like the internet. You're always like in it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that was pretty interesting with the swarm thing because 
you could look at it as like, yeah, man, like I'm pulling out my phone and now I'm subsumed into this augmented reality. Yep. Yes. The same way, like, you know, everyone gets activated, you know, yes. like uh, the yep. minute they do swarm mode. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty accurate for the way we carry around these devices on our wrists and our pockets, like all the fucking time. Shit. That's Thanks, Aaron. So true. That's a good point. Yeah. And I was I was yeah. thinking about yeah. it, you know, when we said that there's like sort of an absence of like this landscape of social media or augmented reality within the matrix. And mm. just thinking about it as a proxy for that anyway. Mm. You know, that like yeah. It, yeah. you know, Patrick Harris's character, you know, the analyst during that bullet time scene, uh, says something like really, really interesting where he uh he says quietly yearning for what you don't have while dreading losing what you do for 99.9% of your race. That is the definition of reality, desire Jesus. and fear, baby. And I was thinking about the complexity of that and, and how it manifests specifically between Neo and Trinity in the film. Mm -hmm. But that really what it's saying is that like our method of extraction, like our system of oppression is predicated on giving you all this sort of false opportunity and sense of solidarity that you mm -hmm. can just constantly pursue without ever fulfilling, right? Absolutely. That like that that you are within arm's reach, but just out of out of you know that that capacity to grab and reach someone else's hand, mm -hmm. and and the way in which social media does kind of engender that, like it can mm -hmm. be used as a as a tool to build to build movements and to communicate and to do all of that. But at the end of the day, like if it stays online, it's not building genuine solidarity, right? Mm -hmm. Like it has Absolutely. to be used in practice in practice outside of that. Absolutely. And I think like the fact that, um, you know, uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character uh, explicitly says that every time that we you you two got a little bit too close together. Right. And every yeah. version that you did. Right. Where they touch. And it's like, yeah, it's the same thing where I mean, on the one hand, I mean, social media and the, this this whole like Web 2.0, in my opinion, can never like I agree with you. And it can never serve as a foundation for any radical politics. Right. The same way that nostalgia can't mm -hmm. and it just so happens that web 2.0 is very much based on nostalgia i mean mm -hmm. instagram is a perfect fucking example you know especially with this with with this kind of like reaction or i guess um yes reaction between neo and trinity and why they're so important to remain like alive in the matrix but they can't touch is a similar way in which social media could you i mean we're never going to start a revolution from that they mm -hmm. first of all the government you know, or the channels of communication that are owned by these uh, multi-billion you know, uh, dollar corporations, they'll shut that shit down quick. Yep. Yep. But it's also not meant to foster and cultivate like connection to a point that leads to like, in my opinion at least, any action in the real world. Yes, It's there to make us feel as if we're connected and we have community, but at the same time, it will never actually be that because I mean, it leads to inaction, right? It leads yeah. to, you're just observing the entire time, you know? Yes. It's a really good point. Shit, man. Wow. <laughs> Yo, I got to write, you guys, every time, like, I should actually have a, uh, I'm going to remember, well, after, when we're done, I'm going to have to write, like, jot shit, jot shit down quickly because I want to do a part two oh, please piece do. of what I wrote oh, yeah. about using this fucking film because I was waiting for it to come out and I was like, nah, I just, I'm just going to, like, tap this shit out. But yeah, this film really kind of elucidates, like, a lot of the things that, I mean, I know I didn't come up with it, but I was thinking about yes. and the way she does this is just like fucking amazing, man. Yeah, completely. And and so much of your piece, Aaron, is about like our own participation in in mm. this, right? That it's not just you know the 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 ruling class that is yeah. dictating this, but that now in these these late stages of of neoliberal capitalism, that we too are the ones that are participating in our own uh imprisonment yeah. and like that 
so often happens via media, right? That's yeah. that's where people live and breathe and go to like do anything these days. Yeah. And so it's interesting to think about her using a piece of media to kind of upend that pattern, to kind of like put a ripple in that code, even if only briefly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why people, you know, people are upset online, right? Because like, it's the same way, I guess, like you're getting removed out of the matrix is a jarring experience where you have to have these doc bots, you know, mm -hmm. to help keep you alive and shit, you know? Um, or you could be like Neo where he just gets in a fucking dope ass fight and yeah. like gets his mojo back. <laughs> yes. I thought that I thought that scene, that whole thing, that whole scene was also amazing. I mean, like, cause we knew it was gonna happen. We're yes. like, we know he's the one. We know he's gonna remember. Yeah. You know, and he it was just again, you know, the fight choreography wasn't where I went to be, but I mean that whole scene was just beautiful, beautiful and well done. So, I, I loved mean, it. You know, I also yeah. really appreciate that if Keanu's character if neo is someone who is imprisoned in this system and yet every like fiber of his being is fighting to be out of it that that that's taxing right like that there would yeah. be a taxation on oneself both physically mentally and i guess also emotionally and and a lot of people i think are, are bemoaning his performance and i'm like i actually feel like he's doing a very spot-on aggrieved tired man mm -hmm. performance yeah. in this like film. like this shit again yeah you know what i mean like this when he gets again. out of it he's like he looks around he's like god damn nothing yeah. has changed you know and i'm back right where i started i mean also keanu reeves is like i mean dude not only has he gone through like so much personal tragedy in his yeah. life he could play keanu reeves like he could play himself in every single movie and I would watch it. Yes. Like, I do not care. He's a dope, nice guy. And I mean, also, too, he gave me one of my favorite, like, film franchises. You yes. Know, this yeah. movie. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Completely. It's like, I get it, man. Like, give him a little slack, yo. He's tired <laughs> slack. now. He's tired. He's, tired now. he's, he's been sandwich, trying to man. kill himself in this in this yeah. matrix, yeah. like, 17 times. <laughs> like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna pop back up, yeah. you know, as quickly yeah. as... As he did before. Yeah. The the film, the narrative literally reanimates his corpse yes. in order to do this thing <laughs> again. Man, I thought that that was... All right, so one of the things, too, that I liked about this film um, is that... So it takes place in, like, I don't know, man, like, sometime in, like, the 2200s. So, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, what's that? Like, the 24th century or something like right. that? Right. And I don't know. I think it was really horrifying and cool that they, like, reconstituted his body just so they could do this again or actually yes. discover his source code to figure out like okay why is this a problem in every or at least why is this a problem in the sixth uh revision of the matrix and the fact that like lon at least was like yeah they they put his body back together because we live in like the 24th century we can do that shit yeah yes. indistinguishable <laughs> from magic i thought that was pretty cool man that so cool and like that was so telling too that it's used then not for like revolutionary purposes but to maintain nope. order mm -hmm. right like that that technology is there to like further defang his his like uh the thing that makes him special and and powerful and revolutionary in the first place no we're just gonna like put that into a tube and it's gonna build our next matrix Exactly. And then we'll use the we'll use like uh, the the matrix itself and like you kind of like resisting against it as like uh, media and culture in the form of a video game. I thought that again, like that was I mean, that was genius. I mean, it was also like really updated to like, I mean, I guess he could have been an app developer. 
Mm-hmm. Right. But like, what would the Matrix have been? Like a social media platform? Right. Like, it's just much more yeah. interesting that she made it like a video game. Yeah. Than, right. You know. I also thought that, you know, on, on that note, too, the insistence on using footage from the original trilogy over and over again, yeah. almost sometimes to the film's detriment. Like, I thought it was a really kind of inspired choice, even when I was feeling challenged by it. I was like, when, when it really, really hits for you is when they're on the train and walk through the door and they're yes. literally projecting the moment that Morpheus speaks to Neo and yeah, gives him on the, the wall the as they're walking the through the door on yeah. the wall. And I'm like, this, this is, this is working. It kind of tripped me. me out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It me out a little bit. Cause I was confused. I, I didn't know if they were cutting, like showing these split screen scenes or as you said, if it was a projection. And I mean, like, uh, what is, uh, Morpheus 2.0 says, he says that, um, nothing comforts anxiety, like a little nostalgia. Yep. And I was like, God damn, man, I could have like, you could have ripped that out of like my piece or any work of Mark Fisher's or anything like that. And I mean, I really like want to know if, you know, we were talking about hauntology earlier. I mean, I'm not, I mean, maybe Lana does know about hauntology, Mm -hmm. but what she's doing is that this film is a hauntological, like it's manifestation of hauntology. Yes. Mm -hmm. And like, I've never seen, I've never seen like a piece of like film or anything that like did that. You know, as, yep. especially since I became aware of the term. Yeah. And I mean, she did. And it fucking worked, yo. I mean, it worked for some people. It didn't work for other people. But that's the point. That's the point. Like, that's the whole entire point. Yeah. She's literally like, oh, yeah, you love this first movie. Here it is, guys. Yeah. Like, I'm going to I'm going to literally project it in this new film. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. give you yeah. exactly what you are pining for. And look how fucking weird and awful it feels. Like, look how... Yeah empty this is it's uncanny yeah and it's like i just think about that compared to like the the base level like reward for pattern recognition of like the marvel movies especially the most recent spider-man right where it's like Mm -hmm. you remember toby Maguire? here's toby Maguire. you remember andrew garfield here's andrew garfield and we want you to cheer and clap at it and this one is like challenging you to cheer and clap at it because you don't want to like well it's like like making us aware of our our sort of like addiction to hauntology, right? Or, or the, yeah. the, our, our sort of participation in that. It's yeah. making us aware. Uh, and for me, like I was very like, yeah, I'm, I feel a little bit ashamed about that, that I would love to see this scene again. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna stop this and watch the original, actually. Right, literally though, I had that thought. I was like, oh man, now I just really want to go back and watch the first one. And then I was like, wait a second. Like, no, she's giving me a new thing to watch. Yeah. Like, that's the point. <laughs> And Yaya's character, you know, new Morpheus or whatever he is, he even like, I mean, it's so on the nose. He quotes Morpheus's lines and instead of completing them, he goes, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. He's like telling us like, you guys, like this thing that you want, you you want me to regurgitate these things. You want me to, to step into the Morpheus suit. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's empty. And it's not, it's not where a new alternative exists. Mm -hmm. You're so right about the lines. Cause there's that, uh, when he first sees, uh, when he sees Neo for the second time and that same scene where they're projecting like images from the film um, on the wall when they exit the train and he says, at last, yeah. you know, and he's like a little <laughs> bit too on the nose. Like he's like meta about like, yeah, man, like I'm just, I'm not a, I'm playfully kind of mimicking yes. this guy who is, I guess the, I'm the first second version of, but for the audience, it kind of dissuades you from continuing to have want that pursuit of familiarity. You know? Yes. It's jarring. 
you know, which I mean, is again, like, God, there's so many things about this film. See, now I'm going to have to watch it a third time. Yeah, because there's so many things about this film now where I'm just like, yo, like, I think people should appreciate it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, people are entitled to their fucking opinion. I think that's the fact that she put this out there and knew that it might be contentious. Like, that's the point of the film. If not art in general, that's at least the point of this film. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I was even remarking on that, that it's, you know, it's a really brave and kind of paradigm shifting thing to take one of the most like universally beloved films of the 1990s and make something that you know that a lot of people are going to have a negative reaction to like exactly exactly (laughs) and to do it and to do it like you know where you are making a clear statement on people's love for the original and not just like kind of paying fan service to them you know Mm -hmm. because that's that's what a lot of this comic book culture is about i mean if whether it's within the canon of the franchise or whether it's referring back to the source material, because mm-hmm. I know as a comic book head, fans of that are supposed to be like clap, like you were saying, Aaron, you're supposed to clap and be like, oh shit, hell yeah. And in this one, Lana like throws that out, like the first scene exactly, where it's kind of the 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 Trinity uh opening scene, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. She gives that to you and then kind of pulls it back and gives it to you and pulls it back. Mm-hmm. Kind of the way the matrix in the film fucks with our feelings of despair and that's fear and desire true. and all that man yep. that's a very good point i hadn't thought about that that's yeah. the i hadn't same... thought about that either until just now <laughs> no that's the, you're right that's like that same kind of manipulation yeah, yeah. i God this damn. film rips that's I, all I, yeah like... i mean it really does like i you know we, we were watching it and and i went in with some you know relatively tempered expectations uh if only mm-hmm. because you know some some friends of the show uh did did not have uh as as glowing reviews as as we walked out of it having mm-hmm. um which is fine again they're entitled to their opinions and and uh, some of our, our friends on the show you know who have, who have written about this uh who who had some negative takes on it actually at least wrote as if they had watched the movie and were like engaging <laughs> with the same thing as we were <laughs> yeah. as opposed to some stuff that's like i don't think you really get it um but yeah i mean i i just at, at the end of that two and a half hours is like i think i think i loved that and i think i loved it yeah. precisely because of all the ways in which it didn't give me an opportunity to love it in the ways i was expecting to absolutely and i want to ask you guys a question though this is the thing that's kind of been worrying me um once i finished i was a little bit worried mm. uh because you know that like warner brothers is gonna want to like milk this shit yep. you know what i mean keanu is always i mean not oh i can't say always but pretty sure that he's down to continue playing neo yep for sure you know until he looks like the guy that he was supposed to look like to other people in the film you know what i mean like yeah. graying hair and shit like that is there go actually we might know that for a fact is there going to be a sequel and like what what would what do we even do at that point you know yeah i i think part of the fun of this movie is getting to imagine what the world that Trinity and Neo are going to build looks like at the end of this yeah. you know as, as they kind of yeah. tease out and, and say like we control this place now. We we have all the power. We're gonna we're gonna make some changes. Mm-hmm. That that's interesting, you know. And and yet again, like the moment following the conflict after the revolution, where the, the power dynamic has shifted, and and to see what futures are possible. Um, there was also a, it it may have just been a slip up. It may have just been like a weirdly like kind of worded statement from Keanu. Mm-hmm. But someone pointed out that at like a, a press uh, junket, he referred to the first three movies as the first trilogy. Mm, right. <laughs> okay. And so people, so gonna be... so people started to, to uh, yeah, pause it and, and guess this might be hinting at the fact that there are more of these coming. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder 
I mean, it's a good question, Aaron, because I think like there's part of me that wants to resist another trilogy being made because I'm like, well, it's kind of perfect if you just like leave it at four and yeah. say like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna participate in that equation, that three that you need me to make. Mm-hmm. But then I also think like if there's anyone who I would want to see more from and have work within this formula to try to upend it or frustrate it in some way, it's Lana. Like I trust her to do that, but I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. Um, And maybe that's the point, right? That like we're not given a closing credit scene that tells us, what's next yeah and i mean like and that's the thing too is like i kind of like like want like a sequel but at the same time as you were saying carly like i don't because i feel like this is this could be like we don't need to see actually i disagree i kind of agree with you too Aaron, because it would be nice to see what this world would look like Mm -hmm. that neo and trinity would create but the way that it ended i mean there very well could just be four of these films right right this last one and it could be that could be it and i guess the the I guess like the the kind of tension would be what do what does the film studio want and what do they they expect out of the storytelling versus what Lana wants to do to to even in the first place to be able to continue this story. Right. Yeah. Right? Like I guess I'm wondering how much leeway Warner Brothers is going to give her thematically and narratively so that okay, what if there's a fifth film but like that's it? Right. Instead of like a trilogy. Yeah. Is she going to have to do like another three other films or I guess Warner Brothers could also say like, okay, you don't want to do it. Fine. We're going to pick, you know, somebody else and we're going to have like, you know, uh, as uh, Neo's boss said in this one, you know, the same stories, but just with uh, new names Mm -hmm. and different faces, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All I can say for certain at this point is that if Lana, uh, if, if there's not a Wachowski involved in the sequels, I just probably won't watch them. <laughs> like, I just can't yeah, imagine gonna these be things like well, doing, doing it well. And I also right. think she's yeah. proved to us that she's capable of working within the sort of necessary scriptures of the studio system and mm-hmm. also subverting them at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. Like, there yeah. are plenty of people that felt like she was poorly pandering to them when they were watching the film. And, like, mm-hmm. that's that's a good cloak for her to be wearing because Mm -hmm. there's probably a certain amount of, you know, the boardroom at Warner brothers. That's like, okay, yeah, you're doing the thing. You're giving us meta meta commentary on, on this, the series you're giving us bullet time, yada, yada, whatever. Like she's, she's proven that I think she is able to kind of like play in that world that is highly constrained creatively. Mm -hmm. And also, still subvert expectations and deliver a message underneath that yeah it's like the binary you know the dialectic you know it's like it's this very this kind of juggling of these two kind of opposing forces and like just being able to kind of sneak by where yes it creates controversy but i think for people like us you know and i don't want to say like us but i think for people who understand the original intent or the intent of the franchise that this is something that people would appreciate. Yeah. You know, if you were looking for it. If you're looking for it. Not just like the heavy handedness, but like, you know, the little, like, I mean, again, there there are some things that I just don't know if that she intended that mm-hmm. or if or if this was something that came about during the production of the film or during the writing of the mm-hmm. film or maybe even like, 
I mean, I don't know. Films are a little bit kind of more like, um, I guess, incisive and cut and dry. It's not like anything gets like left out, but or anything is just kind of thrown in. But it does very much feel like this kind of organic yeah. film that's not formulaic or cookie cutter. That like I can't remember the last thing I've seen like that. Mm-hmm. You know, more than anything, though, know, I would have like told people like, yo, just like watch if you haven't seen it yet which obviously you should have like paused this like an hour ago or like actually like an hour and a half ago and like when we mentioned it and went to watch it but if you're on the fence or you're like me where sometimes i read i read spoiler alerts like i already know what's gonna happen in (laughs) spider-man no way home i'm probably still gonna see it whatever but like go watch it and then maybe if you're kind of on the fence because you have feelings about the original and you're kind of scared which is understandable understandable people like kind of worried that like this franchise that i love you know the original which meant so much to me you're gonna fuck it up i would say like take that feeling with you and go watch this Mm. and carry that feeling with you and kind of conceptualize it as you're watching the film because i think lana does a very good job at addressing that sort of attachment that we have and nostalgia we have for Mm. like you know the original film and i would argue read aaron's piece uh, oh hell yeah! Because check on my piece. That, yeah, absolutely. That uh, told uh, having read it prior to seeing this film, Aaron. I I had those ideas like permeating my thoughts, and mm-hmm. I couldn't. I I felt like it made me more sort of open to seeing what she was doing uh, in yeah. terms of commenting on nostalgia. So I I would argue also go read Aaron's piece. One hundred percent. And we will make sure yeah. to uh, to link to it in the show description for this episode. Um, once again, Aaron Thorpe, thank you for writing that piece and thank you for hanging out with us and talking this, uh, this movie today. Listen, I, I mean, like, uh, I, I like really need to go back and listen to like, you know, you guys is like, uh, earlier episodes because this is like one of the best kind of podcast like appearances like I've done, like, you know, like ever, because it was, I mean, it's something that I enjoy talking about, but also to you guys are like incredibly like smart and incisive and like, there's so much shit that like, I didn't even think about watching this film and i think what what means a lot to me is like not even just the conversation but also the fact that like you could help me appreciate the film in a way that i might not have before you know and also kind of like you know uh jump start like uh, my thinking a little bit so i'm very appreciative of that like seriously i'm gonna go back and watch this film again i think i'm gonna write a part two to the piece so thank you for that guys thank you so much yes high praise that's literally all we want to do on our show is just have is have that response so i'm so glad to hear it yeah the the best thing about this show is that is just getting people to uh to evaluate the the movies they love and and maybe ones that they didn't know that they loved in the first place and just walk away with a deeper appreciation so glad glad we could all do that together absolutely and i was gonna say if you guys um i mean i'm always down to like come back on so if there's like talk about a movie actually from the 90s yes um, open invitation (laughs) think if think about some ones you may want to talk about and and anytime man we'll do it uh but uh yeah i think that will do it for us on this episode aaron thorpe thank you again so very much uh where can people find you and your work uh people can find me on twitter at uh at paradoomer um, and then check out the Trill Billies, Trill Billy Workers Party. Um, that's a podcast that I co-host um, a couple times a week. And uh, I don't know, it's leftist politics in the South. I mean, I mean, comedy politics, I guess. <laughs> uh, kind of out of the Brooklyn podcast sphere, um, like escaping that. I mean, so check that out and check out uh, my Substack, uh, Space and Light. And um, yeah, 
Absolutely. Thanks so much again, guys, for having me on. Thanks for thank, coming thank on. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron. We'll make sure to link to all of that. And yeah, check out Trillbillies. They're they're great, doing some excellent, excellent work. And and as Aaron said, you know, offering a insight and perspective outside of the uh, more insular kind of big city like leftism that we get from a lot of these podcasts. You guys are doing great work over there. Thank you. Thank you, really. One more thing to call attention to, uh, as a reminder to to our listeners, we are donating all of our Patreon proceeds for the month of December uh, to the Pasadena Tenants Union. They are currently uh, working to try to get uh, some legislation on the ballot uh, to support a rent control uh, policy there in Pasadena, where rents are rising higher than just about anywhere else in all of Los Angeles County. Um, it's a great cause, and anywhere that we can make an active case for and, and win rent control is uh, is a place that we can use as a as a case study for why it's awesome and why we can do it in other places as well. Uh, so we're happy to support them, uh, and you can again support uh, by donating just five dollars to us per month. Get some extra bonus content uh, from us on Patreon.com/slash/HitFactoryPod as well. Uh, you can also follow along with us on social at HitFactoryPod. We'll give a shout out to our capitalist overlords. Their names are Linda and Jesse K. Uh, until next time, see ya.